Welcome to Building Insight, brought to you by the lawyers at Glayhold Bowles LLP. Building Insight is Canada's first podcast dedicated to construction law and dispute resolution. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Glayhold Bowles LLP podcast, Building Insight. Uh, this week we have a relatively new topic that we haven't covered before, but is near and dear to our firm. It's called Mentorship, Lessons in Construction and Law. And joining me today is Brendan Bowles, uh, partner at Glayhold Bowles LLP, and I'm Ivan Merrill, an associate lawyer also at Glayhold Bowles LLP. And I'll be asking Brendan a series of questions about mentorship and different lessons that he's picked up over the years, both in construction and the practice of law. So Brendan, thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you, Ivan. And hopefully this is helpful for our listeners. As you say, this is a bit of a different direction than what we've done in the past. But I'm looking forward to a conversation about what we've learned about mentorship, and certainly that's something that's had a large impact on my career. So I guess rather than delving into a particular section of the Construction Act or talking about delay claims or those sort of legal topics that we often touch on, today we're going to talk about something that's perhaps of a bit broader interest. And so our firm, I think, is happy to share our thoughts on how we uh, approach mentorship. Certainly, I'm not, by the way, of course, the only person at the firm with views on that. Uh, So I'll do my best to give a a representative view of how uh, we approach the issue of mentorship, how we value it. And as I say, hopefully that's of general interest to our listeners. Oh, absolutely. I, I think it will. Mentorship is a very hot topic, not just in the legal industry, but I think across business widely and more generally as different generations integrate into the workplace. Uh, mentorship has been identified as a key way to bring people on board, keep new and continuing employees engaged and overall to help different folks uh, as they grow and explore within their careers. So um, I'm looking forward to getting started. So let's let's start right at the beginning. When did you start at the firm? And maybe you can tell us a little bit about early years and the impact that mentorship had on you. Thanks very much, Ivan. And again, I think last time you and I did a podcast, we talked about fraud, which was a very (laughs) serious topic. Uh, It was a very serious podcast. We had very serious expressions on our faces as we uh, recorded that. And I think that was towards the end of last year. Since then, of course, we've had the pandemic. So we're not in a boardroom at the firm today. We're actually on a Teams call looking at each other. You're you're wearing a tie. I'm not. Um, Just happens to be the way that it is. But, you know, I I I think we're we're, we're adapting to these circumstances. And our, our mentorship program is as well. Now, I guess to, to go back into history just a little bit to, to address your question, I joined the firm as an articling student. And this, this firm has always been, I think, a relatively small firm by downtown Toronto standards. So when I joined, it was a firm of approximately 10 lawyers. It was called Glayholt and Associates in those days. And there really was an opportunity to be working with and at least informally mentored by all the various lawyers and, and other staff members at the firm who had more experience than I did when I when I joined as an articling student. And I think that started by, as I say, 
taking the time to typically it was once a month or sort of whenever we could manage it, sit down and have, you know, a, a, a frank discussion over lunch. And, you know, a lot of the time, actually, we were just talking about life in general uh, and interests that we had in various things outside the law. Although we don't really do the lunches every month anymore, of course, but um, it was really having that that regular check-in that I think when I look back on it was was very valuable for me, and it was a chance to sort of see how I was doing and and also see how you know I I, I could improve. Nice, thank you. I heard an interesting expression the other day on a call, very much like this, although not for a podcast, of course. Someone said my mentors are not the ones to put things in writing. They're more the type to lead by example. Have you found it that it's been your experience to also have been mentored in an informal way by those around you setting an example? Yes, definitely. And I think just to pick up on something I I said earlier, you know, it was a small firm, 10 lawyers in those days. We're, we're bigger now, but I think to a large extent, one common theme that we've always had in the firm is that we try to have everyone work with everyone else as much as, as possible. And, and certainly that not been, that's, that's been my experience at the firm over the years. So I had the uh, opportunity to work frequently with, with Duncan Glayhold. Certainly there was, I would say, mentoring in the, the formal sense in that, especially when I was a really younger lawyer, you would have specific questions of him and how, you know, how things were done or substantive questions about construction law. But I think much bigger influence than that was his approach to working with others, both people within the firm, but also opposing counsel, judges, arbitrators, mediators, and especially clients. And I think the highest degree of professionalism at all times, treating everyone with with courtesy and respect, and ultimately always striving for perfection. When I think about it, that was that was probably the number one influence over the years. Thank you. That's uh, perfect, uh, Brendan. I appreciate you sharing that. One aspect of construction law I was hoping to highlight today was also to draw out some different ways that mentorship plays out, not just in the firm, as we've discussed, in a formal and informal way, uh, but also in the construction bar. And I wondered if you'd share some thoughts on uh, mentorship and the role and influence of our peer group and the construction bar being the group of lawyers across Canada who practice construction and infrastructure law and some of the influence that that has on us as practitioners. Yes, I think that's uh, an excellent point. And I would certainly be remiss if in recounting my own experiences being mentored by people over the years, I, I didn't touch on that because that was hugely important. The construction law bar in Canada, and I think uh, also in Ontario and Toronto specifically, is a comparatively small bar. When you look at other areas of practice, there's fewer people that practice construction law in both real and relative terms than there would be, for example, in criminal law or in family law, just to take a couple examples. Now, that being said, there are obviously 
no rules as to who can practice construction law and who can't. Oftentimes, you'll encounter lawyers from all walks of life, all areas of practice on uh, a construction law file, and there's nothing wrong with that. That being said, to, to a large degree, because it's so specialized, and also I think, frankly, some lawyers may think it's not necessarily the most exciting area of practice compared to others. For various reasons, there's there's fewer people practicing construction law than I think there are other areas of practice, which means as a result, in terms of the, the other lawyers who you're going to encounter frequently on files, there's a smaller group of them and you're going to see each other more frequently. And I think as a result, the construction law bar perhaps tends to be more collegial than others. Now, having said that, that may be just a completely insulated view that I've developed over the years myself, because to be honest with you, as I said at the outset, I articled at Glayholt, and so I've really spent my entire career in this area of practice, so maybe I I don't know of what I speak. That being said, I, I do obviously keep in touch with lawyers who practice in other areas that I met in law school and along the way. You know, my father was a lawyer, a bit more of a generalist as well, and I think there is some kernel of truth to that. So some of the most important mentorship I've had over the years then to get to the point is frankly from having engaged with and interacted with lawyers on the other side of a file, even if, and perhaps particularly if, it is a reasonably contentious matter as between the clients, because after all, those are the opportunities you're going to have to uh, have potentially clash with another lawyer at examinations for discovery or on a motion or motions at a mediation or arbitration hearing itself, for example. So I, I think to me that's that's been tremendously important. And oftentimes I've, I've learned a lot from opposing counsel. At times we've all, you know, we've, we've had war stories, we have our differences, but generally speaking, I have a tremendous amount of respect for other construction lawyers who have encountered on files over the year. And for that matter, you know, people that would maybe consider non-construction lawyers, but who have found themselves uh, in one of those files, either working with or, or against me. Because we have had opportunities in the past to collaborate with other law firms on files, uh, particularly where other skills uh, were required to be brought to bear. I think to add to that, and maybe I'll pause after I flag this up, just in case you want to go in a different direction, but I've also observed through the years that getting involved in things like the Ontario Bar Association, the Advocate Society, various groups and executives they have related to construction law and our related areas of practice is a very good way to meet potential mentors in the profession. And I think we've had some very positive experiences in that regard. Brendan, one element of the podcast so far I wanted to circle back to was when you talked about professionalism and the standards set by some of your mentors here at the firm. For those in the industry and clients and other members of the construction engineering industries out there, why do lawyers have this emphasis and this focus on professionalism and collegiality when dealing with opposing counsel in especially adversarial proceedings, as you described, where it's, uh, it can be winner-take-all? I think the, uh, the first point to be made there, Ivan, is that it is 
ultimately a matter of, of professional responsibility. Part of the ethics of our profession to conduct yourself with candor, with civility and respect uh, at all times, particularly when and especially when you're you're dealing with opposing counsel on a on a difficult matter, so to speak. So it, it, it really is a matter of professional obligation. And it's, it's one where I think reasonable people can disagree how that might apply in certain circumstances. That being said, I think civility is, is something that we, we all strive for. And, and that, I think, ultimately is one of the, the purposes of having an effective mentoring program is, is to make sure that that is properly taught and, and understood in, in our profession. Because really, I mean, if you, if you think about it, if, if we don't conduct ourselves that, that way, if it's sort of win at all costs and even insult, belittle and degrade your opponents, then really what what purpose are we serving other than being just sort of high-priced bullies? And I, I, I don't think that's really what anyone strives or aspires to. And, and really, does that do anything for the clients other than just run up costs? But that being said, I mean, there, there can certainly be disagreement in terms of how that plays out in, in specific circumstances. But no one would, I think, ever take the position that I'm entitled to be uncivil and that that's how I'm going to act as a lawyer. Like if you were to take the the most famous example in Canadian jurisprudence, at least in, in recent times, there was the Groya case that went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. The issue there was not I acted in an uncivil fashion and I should be able to do that. The issue was, was my conduct uncivil at all? And is it the law society's place to rule on that as opposed to a judge who's who's hearing a trial. That was really what that case turned on. And it was an example of where the, you know, the duty to advocate zealously for one's client came up against an argument that, at least according to some people, he had gone too far in terms of how that played out in his dealings with other counsel in, in court. The only point I make, though, is everyone aspires to be and wants to be civil. You'll never hear a lawyer say the opposite. That's right. And picking up on a few earlier themes, taking that approach of incivility, number one, can risk deteriorating relationships with other counsel that can really serve our client's interests, right? In those situations, like you mentioned, where it calls for collaboration, dispute resolution, coming together and working on a fix and taking a problem-solving approach. If the well has been poisoned through conduct that's unbecoming, I think that clients are ultimately disserviced by that, and you might agree. Yes, definitely. And I think just to add to that, that doesn't mean that you don't raise every argument fearlessly on behalf of your client, that if you're in a adversarial process that you don't cross-examine effectively um, and all of that. But there are certain fundamental things that you owe both the tribunal or and or the court, opposing counsel, uh, the other party, basically everyone that you interact with, honesty, integrity, fairness. And, and certainly I think that's something that, you know, arguably maybe that stuff that stuff can't be taught. But on the other hand, Certainly, 
repeated behavior the other way, if that's observed. And the lesson out of that is you can basically get away with that, provided you don't push the envelope too far. That's certainly not the approach to mentorship that, that we would take. We would we would very much aspire for the opposite. Are there any other uh, mentorship lessons that stand out for you as making an impact on your career uh, over the years? Yeah, I think perhaps most importantly for me would be the uh, the example of, particularly as I say, not just the lawyers in, in my firm, but opposing counsel who I've had files with, particularly more senior opposing counsel who I was dealing with on a file very early on in my, my career, was a, a, a good example of how you could do all those things. In other words, be a very effective, zealous advocate for your client, while at the same time maintaining highest degrees of standards of professionalism and, and ethics at all times, certainly, but also producing the highest quality work at all times. And I think really, ultimately, providing a very effective client service, that's the sort of thing that I think you you'll, you learn by doing. There wasn't really a class in law school on that. Well, maybe there was, but but it was really something that was learned over the years and really by observing people who were who were successful at it and I think trying to adapt some of those best habits for myself. I think I've I've been very fortunate in my career and my life that I've always been very well uh, supported and perhaps I've had opportunities that not everyone would have had but certainly in my approach to the firm today and to everyone who works here I'd want to try to provide them with every support and hopefully good example and guidance that that I receive myself and and pay it forward that way. Thank you. Uh, I certainly uh, think that the mentorship approach at Glayholt is strong. I like that uh, we have a formal mentorship program here at the firm. So for those folks out in the audience um, who aren't aware, each of our associates are matched with a more senior member of the firm and we meet regularly uh, as part of a formal mentoring program. But uh, of course, like in any professional services um, business, and I expect likely very much like the construction industry itself, there's a lot of know-how that's transmitted on down and frankly down the hallways and now virtually on Zoom discussions and by email about how things are done. And it doesn't always have to be in a formal mentorship setting, right? There's just so much to be learned in a specialized industry with its own unique ways of doing things. Um, It's not always going to be in a formally scheduled 30-minute meeting. It's nice to have communication channels open and just to be always willing to share your experience to help those around you grow. Brendan, I wanted to segue into best practices, uh, all under the context and understanding, of course, that We're lawyers. We're not necessarily expert mentors. It's just a part of what we do. But I'm always looking to try to develop those mentorship relationships and get better uh, in that aspect to the degree I can. So for me, looking forward to the next years of my career, how can I become a better mentor? What, in your view, could be considered best practices? 
Yeah, that's a that, that, that's a great question to ask, and I'll I'll do my best, I think, to to give you my views on it, and then I might even sort of turn the tables on you, Ivan, and, and ask you the same. But that but that being said, to start with, I think we've talked a bit about informal versus formal mentoring uh, on this podcast. In terms of informal mentoring, I think as I mentioned earlier, you know, it is one thing. You know, and I know when I went through the bar admission course a number of years ago now, uh, there was actually a course on the rules of professional conducts and the ethics of the profession. So I was taught the course, but really it was it was very valuable to see, you know, senior lawyers when they were dealing with very contentious, difficult issues or with clients who were really, really angry and upset at the other side and they, they wanted to see a fight able to skillfully advocate, but we're always making decisions that were on the right side of the line in terms of the ethics of the profession. And it was, was tremendously valuable for me. And I, I, I've seen a lot of lawyers do that over the years. And so I feel now that time has marched on a little bit. And I'm now, if you look at our firm, at least on the older side of the equation, I try to approach it the same way you know, when I'm confronted with one of these difficult questions, like, for example, if if someone doesn't want to disclose documents, but we know we have a duty to disclose them, how do I handle that? And and what message does that send to the younger lawyers and students working on the file with me if I don't answer that question in the right way and work with the client to get to the right results so they understand what our professional obligations are and why we have to do something in a certain way. So I'm, I'm, I'm very cognizant of that. So that's the informal part. I think the formal part of the equation would be if we look back at when I was talking earlier about when I first started at the firm and the formal mentorship I had, I think at that time it was primarily a program that was geared towards the articling students. What we've done in more recent years with the firm, and you've been a part of this, Ivan, is instituting a more formal mentorship program for all of the students and associates in the firm where they're matched with a partner. And so we have that regular check-in built into the agenda because I think it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to be a mentor, but then we get busy and it just doesn't happen. Then arguably what what point is there in that? So it's it's about having the discipline to put it in your calendar, to put it in there regularly, to make sure that it doesn't fall between the cracks. And I think then a certain obligation emerges on both sides of that partnership, if I can refer to it that way, both on the part of the mentee to have in mind what they want to accomplish through that relationship. What questions or concerns do they want to have addressed and and hopefully there's a relationship of honesty and trust there so that you can have a really useful mentorship dialogue and at the same time to give constructive criticism feedback where warranted if you are the the mentor so i think having it in the books having it in your calendar scheduling it regularly i think as you alluded to ivan earlier maybe now we do that by way of zoom or teams as opposed to having you sit in my office but I think that's that's probably the most important thing. And so maybe I would turn that question on you then. Uh, what would you say some of the best practices are from, from your perspective? Thank you. And I'm by no means an expert, but I certainly do have experience having had some phenomenal 
mentors so far in my career, I would make a few points. Number one, I think that the formal appointments are key. I absolutely think they should be calendared. There should be room for an agenda where that's warranted, but also enough space for a mentee to voice what's really troubling them or what's on their mind at that moment and an active resistance to allow the mentorship session to be drawn towards the gravitational pull of the file load of the day and the ordinary work of the firm or if this is in a business context the ordinary nine to five crunch that everyone's dealing with sometimes our mandates can be quite time sensitive and urgent as you know so that is going to necessarily come in and inform some mentorship subjects but it's really precious time to spend with your mentor so to the extent that that time is protected and actually addresses what's on his or her mind i think that's fantastic the only other best practices i can offer are just through my experience as a peer mentor for the associates and students that i've worked with i consider them colleagues and and peers and in those circumstances I just try to make space to share and impart some lessons as things go along and hopefully leave enough room to have some effective dialogue back and forth just to add that layer of significance and meaning and importance to what we're doing. Because as you know, Brennan, we're in a busy practice here. We perform a great amount of work at a very high standard. And it's not always explained why we're doing the things we're doing. But if you add in that two cents and the extra info for why things are being done the way they are, why that third turn of the document needed to be done, why the client response was handled that way, I think that it really enriches the experience of becoming a talented construction law professional. So whenever I get the chance to sprinkle a little bit of insight in there, I certainly give it my best shot. There's always room to do more, of course, but uh, those are the moments that I always look forward to, both you know, on the receiving end of that feedback and insight, but also any chance that I get to share it with our phenomenal students and associates who uh, walk the hallways and trade Zoom meeting room places with me from time to time as part of the firm. No, thank you, Ivan. I think that's a, that, that's a that's a great perspective to have. And I think one of the things I was I was thinking about as you were speaking, which was um, I think why this topic is is ultimately valuable and and hopefully it's of broader interest actually to just the the lawyers who might be listening to this because I think what what is the purpose of all this ultimately? Ultimately, we're in the the client service business. And I, I th- what I like to, to think of when I'm mentoring and when I'm frankly still learning the ropes about something myself is is ultimately what is the strategy here? What is it that we're trying to accomplish? Let's take a step back and simplify this and figure out where is it that we want to go and, and how do we get there? And I think what you were describing was a process of having a very honest and transparent 
conversation with with the various personnel who are working on a, a file. And let's face it, the reality of these construction law files is you can't do them by yourself. You need a team. And that team should ideally and does, when it works best, involve the client team members as well. And so, you know, we may not be in a relationship of mentoring, at least in the formal sense, and working with the clients uh, on the file in that way. But I think it, it should be a process like that if we're going to be providing the most value for the services that we're providing. And I think if we're being good mentors and good mentees in the way you describe, we're definitely being better lawyers. So, Ivan, I, uh, I, th I think you did such a good job of answering that last question. I think I want to maybe stick with changing roles here. I'll, I'm going to ask the question and, and we're going to we're going to gain some wisdom from from your answer, I think. And there's a concept called sponsorship. And I think this is a good example of how we should always be learning. And, you know, in a way, we can always be mentored ourselves. That's not a concept that I'm actually terribly familiar with, and I'm sure there might be other people listening to the podcast who aren't familiar with it either. So is, is sponsorship distinct from mentorship? And if so, how? Could you talk a little bit about those two concepts, please? Sure, I'd be happy to. Again, all in the context of not being an expert, but certainly interested in the subject. Recently, I came across some materials that we're discussing mentorship not being the answer to all problems within the workplace, as few things are, um, but mentorship having a role for career development and the need emerging for a new concept to demonstrate something that different employees and growing leaders within organizations are looking for. And it's been given the term sponsorship. And I think it's something that without even adopting the term, it happens in our firm all the time and likely across our client offices from time to time as well. Sponsorship refers to a more active approach to working with an employee, or it could be a colleague or someone else in the organization, but often someone whose career can be influenced by your actions and identifying their skills, highlighting their accomplishments and achievements and sponsoring their career growth by going to bat for that person within the organization to make sure that they get the opportunities that they're looking for and that they need to grow into positions of leadership. And that's especially important where there aren't naturally flowing informal uh, relationships that are going to create those opportunities for a given person. So an example would be uh, introductions to key accounts, clients, or files, opportunities being targeted towards someone in the organization who is looking to grow their skill set in a particular area. So we think of, you know, an example would be substantive legal skills, a particular type of hearing or venue or tribunal that a lawyer is looking for more deeper experience in to better serve our clients. And then that opportunity and that person are put together and that person is sponsored into that opportunity. So we see that playing out across the firm in all the different ways that our associates and lawyers are 
essentially given the opportunity to create newsletter articles, content, lead podcast episodes, even at the associate or student levels. And I think that we're going to see sponsorship and mentorship coexisting more and more and being talked about as mutually beneficial, but different concepts. Uh, so thanks for the, the question. I certainly think it's interesting and definitely deserved a little bit of investigation. And I think it's something that the firm is already doing quite well. Yeah, no, and thank you for that that explanation, Ivan. That's that's very helpful. And I think that's a good example of how oftentimes we do these things informally without really necessarily thinking about them in, in that manner, at least. But oftentimes, I think to make these things valuable and to to realize the full potential of what we're trying to do, taking it to that next step and, and having some formality and a plan and, and specific actions spelled out as to how we could accomplish those things is, is very valuable. So that's, I think, certainly something that we can continue to discuss and, and think about how we would implement that in our firm and in our lives. Because I think certainly you know, given the realities of, of where we're, we're at as a society right now, I think in terms of at least in the short term, hopefully not too much longer of a term, we're going to be living under more restrictive conditions. It's it's important to, to reach out to others in that way and, and to make sure we're, we're doing those little things and in some cases big things so that we're not just postponing all these opportunities while the pandemic is in place. But I guess also equally importantly, if not more, you know, to make sure that we're not just paying lip service to having diversity in the profession, uh, to encouraging women to stay in the profession, to uh, encourage visible minorities to progress as construction lawyers. I think that's something certainly we can be looking at and doing more of because historically, I mean, the legal profession has been very dominated by white men, construction law, perhaps more so than other areas of practice. And, you know, we could think of these things, I think, now as perhaps practical steps that we can start taking in order to to make those kind of constructive changes that I think that I think we really want. I, I, don't, I don't think you hear anyone really arguing for the opposite these days. That may be somewhat of a naive comment in some ways, but I, I don't think that's true. But that being said, the, the harder question is, what do you do about it and what are you prepared to do about it? So I think... Uh, you have some excellent ideas there that I think we should continue to discuss and implement as a firm. Thank you, Brennan. Sticking with our role switch, I wanted to turn it back to you and ask if you had any insight on best practices for those of us in the role of mentee and how we can be better mentees in our mentorship relationships. I think probably the most important thing would be to to be honest about the relationship and what you want to accomplish with it. And that's not to suggest that people lie to me in the mentorship meetings. So that may be a funny comment for me to start with, because that's not really been my experience at all. But that being said, as you indicate, the time is valuable and you've got to make sure that you, you schedule it, but you also use it. I, I think for me, you know, I'm prepared to talk on at great length and hopefully not excessively so about construction law, the practice of law and client service and things like that. 
But by the same token, I want to make sure that if there's something that the mentee does not specifically understand or appreciate or that the mentee feels could be done differently or is at least you know bothered by something and wondering whether we could do it a different way, I wouldn't want to fail to address those important issues in the mentor-mentee relationship. So I think ultimately a lot of that is on me. I mean, I have to create an environment where the person feels comfortable having that sort of honest dialogue with me. And I think the, the number one challenge there is is the most obvious one, just the, the demands of our practice. You know, as, as you know, Ivan, I mean, even just this week, right, you're in examinations for discovery. We've got an arbitration hearing that we're gearing up for together. We've got all sorts of other files and things competing for our attention. And you can't do those things at sort of half speed. You need to be all in. But that being said, I think to the extent that we can, both sides press the pause button to have that honest dialogue in the mentor-mentee relationship is, is probably the most important thing. So that we're actually talking about things that will hopefully make a positive difference for you. I agree. And for me, it's all fitting together in terms of what we've already talked about, because by making that regular time and making the time happen and making it count, there's a relationship of trust that's built, right? So the conversations are genuine and there's an ongoing dialogue that can be built on. So for me, that that just goes hand in hand, but it does take some courage. There's no doubt that for those of us in the role of mentee at any level, I'm thinking back to my very earliest meetings with lawyers as a summer student, green as green as green as grass, all the way till now, there's always questions that you feel at first blush you shouldn't, wouldn't, couldn't ask. But almost always, if you have the courage and there's that trust relationship built up and you ask it, you won't regret it. And that, I think, is the sign of a great mentor-mentee relationship. Thank you, Ivan. I really enjoyed our, our conversation this afternoon. So thank you for your great questions and also for your, your great answers to my questions. I hope it was useful and I'd be interested in hearing back from people. You know, we didn't put this out there just to have an internal conversation with ourselves. So we, we hope this was useful for people outside the firm, perhaps people outside the profession, and we'd be happy, I think, to hear from you and to continue the conversation. So thanks for listening. Brennan, we covered quite a bit of ground from mentorship to sponsorship inside and outside the firm and across the construction bar at large. Uh, so thank you so much for making the time. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining another episode of Building Insight. If you have questions about any of the topics that we mentioned, mentorship and what things are like at the firm, please feel free to reach out to Brendan or myself. And for more information, as always, please feel free to visit the rest of our podcast episodes and all the other content that we have available on our website at glaholt.com, G-L-A-H-O-L-T dot C-O-M. Thank you so much, and we hope to see you again for another episode soon. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit glaholt.com for more information. 
If you have any questions, email us at info at We look forward to having you join us again.